All right, hello everyone. Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It is Friday, April 7th, 2023 at Asian Markets Close. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. And as we head into non-farm payrolls in the U.S. Um, with the U.S. on market holiday, let's do a recap of the week. Um, I'm just going to hit on two central banks' decisions that uh, came out this week that went in two completely different routes. That would be the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, as I covered on the previous episode, as well as the RBNZ, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, um, which I did not cover because that was um, came out the following day. also want to touch on Samsung. And then finally, Governor Crota, Bank of Japan Governor Crota's last day in office today, and he just gave his farewell press conference. Okay, this just happened, so I'll just give a kind of quick comments on that. First, the RBA, Reserve Bank of Australia. So as I pointed out earlier this week, um, on market depth, so after a slew of something like 10 or 11 consecutive rate hikes um, and bringing the cash rate from you know the the zero bound floor essentially up to 3.6%, the RBA has decided to pause uh, and hold their cash rate unchanged at 3.6%. Um, you know, so after after ripping them higher for a total of 3.5% this cycle, and Governor Lowe uh, said that they essentially what they need to do is they need to assess the lag impacts of the rate hikes, because particularly because mortgage owners are getting hit very hard in Australia amongst other things as well. So these are the long and variable legs that they are now not only cognizant of, I mean, I'm sure they're always cognizant of, but now it's turning into uh, actual monetary policy activity and action, or inactivity and inaction. However, Governor Lowe did mention that this tightening path is not necessarily over yet. This is just a pause and assess, which is basically what you have to say if you're pausing these days right it's either you're gonna it's either a hawkish pause or a dovish hike right so that's that's how that works then the very next day we have the reserve bank of new zealand the rbnz and they actually surprised uh markets because they lifted the official cash cash rate the ocr by 50 basis points to 5.25 percent the consensus was 25 basis points, and some were even saying potentially, you know, will they follow the the RBA and hold? Instead, they just went the other way and surprised with 50. And so now that brings the RBNZ's official cash rate to the highest since 2008 levels. This marks the 11th straight hike. Um, and this is just purely a we need to tackle inflation, you know, message. Okay, is fairly hawkish. Um, and they're also acknowledging that there is a slowdown in economic activity, but nonetheless, with all that taking all that into account, they felt the need to hike 50 as well. They also mentioned, you know, regarding financial stability versus price stability, that thing, they say that there's really no material conflict between uh, trying to lower inflation and then also maintaining financial stability in New Zealand. So those were the two that came out this week, and, you know, they were significant particularly because New Zealand and Australia, they're, they're not the same economy, but they're often kind of grouped together as one. Um, but this shows that they're they're clearly not, and they have different policy outlooks, um, and really what it comes down to is policy board members and leadership, um, if not the you know, completely idiosyncratic situations and, and drivers and things that are plaguing their respective economies and to what degree and to what level, as well as political pressures and all that too. Okay. Samsung today... 
So they, they gave kind of preliminary earnings that's going to see a 96% drop. So they announced that they'll also be cutting their memory chip production. The quote is, we are lowering the production of memory chips by a meaningful level, especially that of products which with supply secured. Okay, this is a pretty big deal. Um, basically, what you have is, the long and short of it is that so there's a massive demand for chips, as we all remember, during the, that COVID era. And there was chip shortages such that even, like, automobile manufacturing was getting hampered, right? But now it's a, becoming a, a balance between inventories and demand and all that, right? So now you have kind of a slowdown in demand for end products, right? And so th these semiconductor produc production companies... With the ex almost with the exception, sole exception of Samsung, they all started cutting back on production, um, and they're trying to just kind of clear out inventory that's already existing. Samsung wasn't doing that until today, and so when Samsung, who was this kind of defiant, sole kind of resistor in the industry to cut memory chip production, when they announced that they were going to do this, in response, you see shares of not just Samsung rally today, but of its competitors. So Samsung was up about like 3 or 4% on the day. Uh, um, SK Hynix was up about 5 6%. And you're probably going to see, um, once the U.S. markets are reopened again, you're probably going to see a similar upside response um, from Sox Index. So um, it is a very big deal for the space because Samsung is obviously a massive, massive presence. Um, and it's almost a pivot in terms of their management style. Um, they were the only ones to fundamentally diverge from the rest um, of the industry in terms of CapEx spending from the last earnings. Um, everyone was cutting back on CapEx spending, whereas Samsung did not. And, and on that note, they're also they're not really hampering back on that either. They're still being very ambitious. But the very fact that they cut back on their production, the reason that this is kind of bullish for the overall industry globally is because it's seen as kind of like a, like a sign of potential market, not recovery per se, but like a resetting um, of supply and demand in the semiconductor industry, right? You know, you have all this inventory, let that kind of flush out and, and you know, like digest in the markets over the next whatever it is, one, two, three quarters at end of the year, whatever it is. But then at, at, at that point, though, um, this marks the existence of a light at the end of the tunnel for which the kind of end markets would have worked through all their existing inventory and then they'll just return to just a more regular pattern of, of, of purchasing and production and so on and so forth. So that's why you have um, a pretty significant rally in the semiconductor names um, across the board, and not just in Korea either, but in Japan as well. Again, this is also, though, coming off of the previous day or this week that was pretty bad for semiconductors because of blowback from that we got from China in response to Japan last week siding with the U.S. and banning semiconductor manufacturing equipment into China. So... You know, we have to take that into account too, right? We already had a pretty big drop in semiconductor shares worldwide. And so this is kind of recovering some of that. Um, but watch, especially in the U.S. names after uh, this U.S. holiday. Okay. And then finally, let's talk about Japan. So first, before I get into Bank of Japan, Governor Kuroda and his farewell speech today, uh, some just some data from Japan. We have nominal cash wages that came in. 
at 1.1% of year, year over year growth. And so that looks pretty good on paper, I suppose. That was higher than the previous of 0.8 in January. It also was, you know, uh, above expectations. However, that also comes in well below the 3.9% CPI for Japan. Okay. So nominal cash wages are 1.1%. And, you know, 3.9% CPI for Japan, which means real wages adjusted for inflation are negative. They're actually down 2.6% uh, year over year so compared to last year's CPI as well. Look, it's better than the the 4% drop of real wages from this uh, January 2023. Okay, so the prior month. But that, a, four, a minus 4% on, you know, real wages... Uh, drop is horrendous. That's the sharpest decline in real wages in uh, in almost uh, a decade at that point. Okay, or almost from the earliest days of the Kuroda um, era of BOJ. And also, mind you, that this is as the Japan Spring wage negotiations that are now concluded that resulted in, I guess, a success by Japan standards. But the spring wage negotiations, they're you know they came in at like something like three decade highs. But the nominal growth um, in wages is kind of meaningless at best because of the fact that real wages uh, have declined, are still declining. Okay, and finally, let's talk about Governor Kuroda and his farewell press conference thing that uh, he held just a moment ago. Um, this is his last day as the Bank of Japan governor. Uh, the, the transition of BOJ governors is going to happen on, on Saturday, tomorrow. I don't know why they do it on a Saturday. But either way, this is the last like kind of day, a market day as Bank of Japan governor after a decade. And then come Monday, we have a completely new Governor Ueda, incoming Governor Ueda. So this last press conference was basically like, I mean, it was kind of the same exact sort of thing as his uh, final march boj press conference monetary policy meeting press conference right um in which he was asked about of course about the policy which was a no change policy but just asked about policy in general and then broadly about kind of his reflecting back on his time about what you know what comes next what he how how the boj will kind of conduct itself with policy that he's implemented um going forward with absent him and, and so on and so forth a lot of those questions too right um and he basically stuck to a lot of the, the, the same kind of talking points and, and all that. However, however, he actually did hint at something slightly less dovish than he has normally done for the last several years. So Kuroda basically says, I think the timing for achieving the BOJ's inflation target stably and sustainably is nearing. So that's not what he has been saying at all. He has been saying the reason we're spending a trillion USD in QE in this past year is because it's, it, exit is inappropriate. We are not close to exiting. Japan is not in any state to remove accommodation. We must keep accommodative policies going. Well, this time he's now on his way out the door. He's saying, I think the timing for achieving the, the Bank of Japan's inflation target stably and sustainably is nearing. Um, and also, mind you, in I, something like August or like it was back half of 2022, he said during a press conference, 
he's also slipped in. We're going to maintain easing. And by maintain easing for a while, by a while, I'm talking like years is what he said. And then Larkin's moved on that too, right? Obviously, obviously trying to get a point across that like this policy will be staying regardless of my tenure ending or otherwise. And now on his way out the door, um, so the you know inflation target and sustainability of the inflation target is nearing. And then he also says, in addition to that, it's entirely possible to pursue an exit strategy while keeping the financial system in a stable condition. Like the fact that he just says it's entirely possible to pursue an exit strategy. Anything after that, I don't, like. I don't really like. Uh, you know, I don't have to hear the rest of that. That first part of that sentence is very significant um, because it's always like it's not even appropriate to talk about an exit strategy at this point. So it's meaningless to talk about it. So I'm not even going to give them hypothetical, you know, theoretical like exit strategy, whatever, whatever. It's, we're not nowhere near that. Now he's saying it's entirely possible to pursue an exit strategy while keeping the financial system in a stable condition. Those are pretty kind of, you know, significant things, but not really. Okay. Because before I get that, first of all, was there a market impact on this? No, there wasn't. This was after Japan cash close, but you still have, you know, the, the FX markets trading um, and you still have like JGB futures that are still trading and nothing really happened. And the reason is really twofold. Number one, markets are still waiting on U.S. non-farm payrolls data later. And number two, for the first time in a decade, it doesn't matter what Haruhiko Kuroda says anymore with regards to markets and job owning and, and that kind of capability. It's a very kind of weird, strange sort of state that we're in, but that's the truth. He doesn't have market moving power anymore. That kind of, you know, that's, that's gone. So I just wanted to share that, um, but nonetheless, he—it's not. This is not like Kuroda suddenly, you know, revealing himself as becoming dovish or anything. He did say, like, yes, we do need to stick with like monetary policy. He, he still sees the below two percent CPI coming uh, later this year, though he says after that we might see an uptick because of you know wages and all that. But by and large, it's not like he's doing like a t total one eighty, um, and like masks are, are are like coming off of, of of his face or something like that. Okay. Again, I've mentioned this a few times before. It's kind of hilarious, ridiculous, or simply realistic, depending on how you want to look at it. But Japan has a four handle on CPI, or three handle on CPI. They're talking as if he he didn't reach the two percent target. Not just Kuroda. I mean, like the press, the, like everybody saying, like, why do you think that you did not achieve two percent inflation? You know, where do you think you failed? What, you know, do you have any regrets for failing your, your target? Why did it take so long? Um, and what, you know, and this and that. So even though there is a, an actual print, a three, a four handle on CPI in Japan, they are not talking as if that there is because it needs to be sustained. It needs to be, you know, generated from Japan. It's not, it can't be something that's just kind of piggybacking off of a global inflationary phenomenon, which it currently is. And then finally, I want to leave you with this clip from Governor Crota at Davos from earlier this year. Okay, this is just, what, in January of this year. Um, and I want you to pay attention to what the panelist is asking him and what he is saying, okay? Um, because it illustrates the huge, huge gap of understanding and mentality and thinking that exists in terms of policymakers here and in terms of everyday people here on the ground 
versus the kind of general Western prescription um, and all that, okay? The guy is asking him about, did you, do you regret not um, escaping yield curve control when you had a chance? Escaping yield curve control, it, there's, there was nothing to escape, right? That's what, that was a purposeful um, policy that they implemented. It's not like something that happened to them. They can remove it anytime they want to. They choose not to. They, uh, at, you know, at the time, and it wasn't a chance to escape it years ago. It was a, th- that's when they put it on, right? So that already shows a kind of gap in mentality. But listen to what his response is. His response is upon reflecting on his term and on his tenure. His one regret was that he was not able to achieve two percent inflation in Japan, as Japan has a four handle in Japan. His response is, my one regret is that I did not, I failed to achieve 2% inflation target in Japan. So I'll leave you with that as something to think about. Um, but, you know, we just need to be cognizant of different cultural mindsets and not really this kind of blanket approach to monetary policy. As we enter a brand new era starting on Monday with a brand new governor of the Bank of Japan. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Have a happy Friday day off for those of you around the world uh, who do have a day off, and we will see you soon. Thanks. As you leave your post, I guess it will be custom. I don't know whether it's custom in Japan, but it's custom in many offices in in Europe that you leave a a letter for the next person who takes the job. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, if you leave a letter for the next person that takes the job, will you perhaps express regret that you didn't take the opportunity to escape from these very loose monetary conditions and yield curve control several years ago when perhaps you had a window? All in all, I think the government policy coupled with the Bank of Japan's uh, uh, extremely accommodative monetary policy, has uh, been successful in, in changing the, the Japanese economic structure and uh, growth uh, prospect. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, 2% inflation target has not been uh, achieved in a sustainable and, and uh, a stable manner. As I said, the 4% inflation right now is largely caused by import price hike and will start to decline towards less than 2% in this fiscal year. Uh, so that is uh, uh, the only regret I have. <laughs>